a, a book came out. I don't know if anyone's heard of it, but it's called The Tao Ooh. of the Backup Catcher. It is a gorgeous new title available on Amazon, and it is flying off the shelves. And it is written by Tim Brown with Eric Kratz. It is on our table here. It is on your screen right now. We now have both of the authors of the hottest new baseball book to hit the shelves joining us at the moment. Tim Brown swinging by. Tim, how you doing? I know we've been talking, everyone has, about this book for a long time. Congratulations on the release. And how crazy has this week been? Dude, it's been so crazy. You guys have your sponsors. <laughs> I got my sponsors. <laughs> oh, my God. You losing your voice, Tim? This is this is my Louis Armstrong thing I got going. <laughs> He's not losing it. He's not losing his voice. He has lost it. <laughs> wow. I, I, can, I can sing you a little bit something. <laughs> I, Eric Kratz must be so over me at this point. I have called him while he's taking his kids to practice, while he's sitting down to dinner, while he's trying to go to sleep at night, while he's walking his dog. You got to be over me by now, right? I my my watch just buzzed. I was like, no way, Tim's calling, right? It's, <laughs> it's got to be Tim Brown. again. Tim Brown is now he is now off my after after we sell this book after we sell enough copies they tell us <clears throat> Tim's never gonna call me again he's gonna <laughs> unfollow me on Twitter he is going to like it was it was honestly it was it was such a it was such a journey for me to be able to go through my journey as a player and Tim just is like if you ever need a professional listener. Tim is a professional listener. I, I feel like he, he never missed anything. Like he would record, we would talk for what, two and a half hours? Is that what you, you would cap it at? Yeah, it was, it was really hard to get Eric to come out of his shell, but once we did. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. Hey. I'm so overexposed right now, guys. I can't tell you. I'm the, I'm the utility infielder who's got is pressed into everyday playing time. For three weeks, comes out of it hitting a buck eighty. <laughs> but all he does is win, Godfather. And hey. that's let me know about this. You know, Tim's got bestsellers, <clears throat> and also he covered the Dynasty Yankees. Then wow. eventually flipped over. They're like, "Oh, we want you to cover the Lakers." Then they start winning titles, right? What is yeah. that about? Like, I need you for my All Star team tomorrow, just to come out and say <laughs> hi to the boys, so we can win. I just come sit on your shoulder for a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. How was that being a part of that? Um, well, I started to assume that every season ends with a parade. Like <laughs> it's just part of the season. Okay, well, you know, you, you'd schedule that in. Uh, <clears throat> Yankees, I felt like the Yankees never lost. And the one thing about old Yankee Stadium with that those 98, 99 teams, there was such energy in that ballpark. You felt like you were—you almost had to sit back in the press box. You felt like you were getting sucked into this energy spiral. It was—it was wild, uh, you know. It, it was really something. And then the Laker thing was obviously—I thought after covering the Yankees for a couple of years that I knew how championships were won. Now, now I get it. And then you go to the NBA, which is a very sort of different experience. Uh, you know, 
it's my ball, it's my shots, it's my team. And I thought, this is never going to work. Never going to work. And then he went three in a row. So what do I know? <laughs> now, now Tim sounds Tim sounds like he, and he's looking like he's wearing a different, you know, he's wearing a real baggy shirt. Tim is the most fit, jacked dude you will ever meet. He is a CrossFitter. He is a almost scratch golfer, right? You're like a two. Are you a two? No, I'm a six. A six now? I'm going to take all of them too, dude. That's no your fault. Eric, that's Every your bit fault. of six. Yeah, exactly. He has to talk to Kratz three hours a you day. Gotta, you got to talk. You got to listen to me forever. So that was the one thing that was a disappointment in my in writing this whole book, doing this whole thing. We could have talked on the golf course. Not one time did Tim come out and want to golf with me. It was all him, not me, all him. I did spend a week, week in Telford. Yep, you did. That was that was a journey of a lifetime. Scott's driven. <laughs> Scott's driven to my hometown where we live, and and so he's seen he's seen the uh, what the different the difference in L.A. to Telford for sure. It's <laughs> idyllic, idyllic in Tef Telford. Yeah, beautiful. Hey, give us more on the book though. So, like, give us Tim. First off, your favorite part to write, or a moment when Kratz said something. He's brought up like the R.A. Dickey conversation, which we haven't gotten into a ton, but moments like that where you're like, oh, this is juicy. This is going to get picked up. You know, for me, it was a, a broader sort of feeling about the book. And yes, it's a book about Eric's journey. Yes, it's a book about how these guys sort of survived the game. But in the end, and I think this is how we finish the book, we're all on this journey, right? And you don't always get to choose where the journey ends, but you can always choose who you are on that journey. And I think that's the thing that came through for me, talking to dozens of these guys, talking to Eric uh, over the course of two, three years, was that they all came around to this sense that uh, there are virtues you bring, not just to the ballpark, but to your life. And they spill into each other. Uh, and I think that's what touched me the most about what is your impact on the people around you? And can you, what do you do when your dream is not the full dream and how do you help the guy next to you attain his full view? Was there one story? Because you talked to, in the book, Tim's talk, Tim writes about, I mean, how many backup catchers do you think you represented in the book? Uh, dozens. Do, yeah, Probably. but you talked to, talk to more than are actually in the book. What's one right. story for you that really sticks out that you could tell? Um, well, since you, you brought up the R.A. Dickey story earlier, and, and it's funny, and it's also telling. Uh, so <clears throat> Josh Tolley, of course, was R.A. Dickey's personal catcher. Josh Tolley caught, I think, about 1,050 innings from, from R.A. Dickey, and the next closest guy caught about 130. So that's, that's how connected they were. And <laughs> so I asked Josh, not knowing about their relationships. Tell me about this relationship that was born 
across all these games and across all these knuckleball balls and across all this time you spent at the backstop chasing these things down. And he said, yeah, we didn't really have a relationship. And I was like, what? He said, yeah, he was sort of a different kind of cat. Uh, I don't think he liked me very much. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, he shooed me off the mound a bunch. And I said, oh, that's interesting. He says, well, and here's another thing. So in 2012, R.A. Dickey's book comes out. And also there's a documentary being made uh, called Knuckleball. And Josh contributed heavily to both of those things. So not only was he sort of tending to R.A., as a catcher, but he was helping him build the brand of art. And right along this time, sadly, Josh had a cousin die in a motorcycle accident. His aunt, the mom of this young man who died on a motorcycle, says to him, hey, Josh, I don't want to bother you, but I'm a huge RA fan. I love his book. Would you mind getting a book for me and having him sign it? And he said, oh, of course. So he goes to R.A. in the clubhouse and he says, hey, dude, my aunt, cousin, motorcycle thing. Can I get a book and have you sign it? And according to Josh, R.A. turns and says, uh, yeah, they're uh, selling those down at Barnes and Noble. Uh, and Josh just looked at him and said, what? And that was the end of the conversation. Now, two things at the end of that. One, I emailed R.A., and he didn't remember anything like that. And he actually felt really bad about that story. And uh, I think we all remember things the way we remember. But the thing that really stuck out to me is that it really goes to the heart of the backup catcher, right? Tending to his pitcher, even if Josh had these feelings about R.A., he still showed up every day to make RA a little bit better. And wow. the part that he didn't, and the part he didn't put in that was the fact that he had a stack of books in his extra locker <laughs> that he could have pulled out of the box. And he, wow. I mean, it was it was it was a hundred plus books still in his locker when he said you can go to Barnes and Noble right. and purchase it. Now, now RA denies this happened and is was mortified. Uh, at the idea of this story, but you know, uh, that's in the wow. book as well. <laughs> I, I Godfather, if someone spoke to you like that in the clubhouse, <laughs> how would that have played out? I don't, I, listen, after a family member passed away like that, you don't forget that. Dolly, he didn't forget. They, there's also, mm -hmm. dude, Tolly has to catch a knuckleball. Yeah. That's not you, fun. You gotta, you gotta have a relationship with your catcher. I'd be buying my catcher dinners left and right if yeah. he's the dude that's got to catch the knuckleball. Yeah. Let alone giving him a book. I'm, I'm sure Tim, you've heard some stories. That's got to be up there for sure. Um, I didn't read the book yet, but I'm getting an inkling more about what it is about backup catchers, about life, how you have a dream, and. It's not always the how you get there, but the road that you're going to go on, bumpy or right. not. And I think this is going to be a great read for anybody in life in general, not just backup catchers, to understand that 
you're going to have to go through your bumps, and it's not going to be the way you want it. And I think being told with Eric, I think it's phenomenal what you guys are doing. I appreciate that. I, I, what I think we hope, and I, I don't want to speak for Eric any more than I have for the last 300 pages. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I think about the, the, the people outside of the game who think of themselves as not being in the box score, right? They, they didn't get their uniform dirty. Uh, you know, whether it's nurses or teachers or stay at home mom or dad or whomever, uh, that that it, it's still it's still important. It's still virtuous. It's still honorable to show up every day, be where your feet are. It's it's it can be fulfilling for you. And, and I hope that people outside the game get the same that I got out of it. Just reporting through this book is is that very idea of um, I need to be the best I could be today, even if it's not all of what I would have hoped to, it, it to have been. Tim, I've known and, and read your work for years. I've known you for years. Ken Rosenthal was on with us yesterday. He said you're one of the best in the biz for years, one of his favorites yeah, nice. for a long time. So I think just as important as the stories is how they are communicated via words. So how did this initially come together? How did you and Kratz sync up? How did the idea of pushing the life of a backup catcher work to be able to publicize something that's not covered much that, like you said, could be super motivational for anyone and also so many baseball players that are going through it, no matter what level they're at, to see how backup catchers have gotten their way to the bigs and how they've created like this different lane. And for many of them, like a great fraternity to be among of players that are able to make it to the big leagues and, and make a big impact for a long time. Well, I mean, to speak, Scott, to the point of where this thing sort of developed, I started covering full-time baseball in 1990. And I was just a young knucklehead. I didn't know my way around. I didn't really know much about the, the major league game. Like, I didn't get it. I, I hadn't been around it enough. And the guys that I, I tended to be drawn to were the backup catchers. They were available. They saw the game. They had a great perspective on the world. Uh, and so I, I cling to those guys. I, I asked them to educate me on what I was seeing. And that was 30 years ago. And as I went along, it kept happening. So my favorite guy in every clubhouse was invariably the backup catcher. And I think I related to them a little as a beat guy. As a guy, uh, you know, you're there every single day and you're grinding. You start to understand what that job might feel like. And in 2018, <clears throat> Eric and I met up on a podcast. Uh, it was late that summer. He was playing for the Brewers. And as I got to know him and his story and about Sarah, uh, Sarah is one of the heroes in this book, his wife. Um, I thought that Eric's story could, could work as a spine to a book about all the backup catchers and the culture of backup catchers. And so that's sort of where it all came. I've been lugging sort of this relationship with backup catchers along for a long time. And then Eric came along and I thought, this is the story that carries all of them. 
All right. So you brought up Sarah. She's gonna be more. She's gonna be mortified that you brought her up on the show, but you wrote about her in the book. Just a little teaser. What nickname did you give her in the book? And you actually brought it up in the podcast, and that was the first time. She's gonna be really pissed at you. <laughs> nickname. Yeah. What does she? What does she do when she caught when when I get traded? What character is she from a movie? Oh, 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 oh. Uh, she's the wolf. <laughs> if you've oh, seen Pulp, that... Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction, yeah. you've seen the movie Pulp Fiction, guys? Yes. Yeah, she's the wolf a, so the... comes in and does <laughs> what? Blood everywhere. Blood everywhere, <laughs> body parts, stuff strewn all over the place. Sarah comes in and cleans it all up. <laughs> like it never happened. We're Love never it. here. Like that, yes. like that scene in Pulp Fiction, everything's everywhere. That's my career. Yes. Everything's just strewn and blown up all over the wall. <laughs> and Sarah's like, oh, we were never in Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Milwaukee, everything's great. She's the every, best. For every good man, there's a good woman, brother. Hey, one she more. also makes the best burrito in Telford, Pennsylvania. Wow. <laughs> there you go. He's been holding out on us. Number one in the power rankings. Yeah, he has, because I've been there a bunch of times, so I better get one next yes, time. You and me will write a book. We might get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we write a book, then, then we'll get it. Mine will be real short, and it'll be mostly pictures and photos. Easy reader. Yeah, real, real easy reading. You can get it done in like a minute. Uh, one fan question just about um, related to what we were talking about with Dickie and how hard it is to catch a knuckler was like, Ronnie's going, why aren't there knuckleballers? And Kratz, hmm. I mean, did you catch any knuckleballers? Did you catch Dickie at all? Not in an actual game, no. They traded for me. I must have done so terrible in practice that they never had me catch. <laughs> Why do you think they don't exist anymore? My thing was, I think most people just can't control it. And also, I mean, if, if you're good, you're going to try to be a normal pitcher. So you got to have, like, the whole story of, um, basically done, and then I'm going to try something else. And I think there's a better chance of guys trying to beat submariners every once in a while, but even that's rare. But, I mean, from my experience, Kratzy or Tim, if you've heard anything differently, it's just good luck controlling that thing to throw enough strikes. Yeah, it's sort of the last resort, right? It's like going to the long putter, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's all I got left. I got to drag this thing around. Yeah, I, yep. I think it's something that's very, especially analytically, like who's going to sit there and go, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a good pitch. Like you have to only see the hit, the hitter's results. And teams aren't going to say, oh, hey, I know you throw a knuckleball. We're going to slot you in the rotation in place of this guy who throws 95, <clears throat> this guy who throws 98, this guy who got this much money. So I think it's really – it's just a – it's a byproduct of what they're looking for in pitchers before it was like, Hey, you have a job. You got to figure out how to get outs. And dudes are like, my stuff is poop soup. I am going to try the knuckleball. Hey, you know who, uh, this might surprise you guys two or three years back, a guy who tried to make a comeback with a knuckleball. Ryan Fearman. Brian Wilson. No way. I didn't hear about that. Or maybe no. I just don't remember it because I don't remember what I ate yesterday. But Brian <laughs> he Wilson never tried. He, he worked out. He, he was throwing a lot, and it just didn't work out. That's a good Legends Territory interview at some point. Hey, Tim, yeah. 
rest up that voice. I'm sure you have three billion more interviews. So good luck to you. But yes, exactly. We'll pay off the sponsors for you. You'll get tons of free, whatever that is, in the mail at some point. And most importantly, there's the book again. And we'll talk about it in a sec. But the Tao of the Backup Catcher. Great having both of you on together. And congrats again on the release and the big week.